Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. We have made it to Friday again on the Three Martini Lunch. Glad you are with us. Your stool is here and ready. Jim, we had crazy martinis across the board as recently as Wednesday. I'd like to say we're back uh, with good martinis today like we had yesterday. Not the case. Three crazies, three really crazy martinis to close out the week and head into our observation of Memorial Day. And uh, let's start with crazy martini number one. This one's actually a double-fisted crazy martini. Yesterday, President Trump went to Michigan. Now, before he left the South Lawn to head to Andrews and then get on his plane to go to Michigan, uh, he mentioned the fact that he had taken a coronavirus test, a COVID test, yesterday morning. And here was his convoluted explanation for how he tested negative. And I tested very positively in, a, in another sense. So this morning, yeah, I tested positively toward negative, right? So no, I tested uh, perfectly this morning. Meaning, meaning I tested negative. So President Trump goes to Michigan. He goes to a Ford plant in Ypsilanti, which is west of Detroit. And Detroit's obviously been hit harder than a lot of different areas with the coronavirus. But uh, Trump had just tested negative. He wore a mask behind uh, the scenes yesterday, but not in public when the cameras were there. And that did not sit well with Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel, who makes Gretchen Whitmer look almost moderate here. Jim, uh, she went on CNN to breathe fire for President Trump not wearing a mask in the public sessions of his tour of the ventilator plant on uh, Thursday. And uh, four different clips here of her conversation with Wolf Blitzer. First of all, Blitzer asking her to actually confirm that she says Trump is no longer welcome in Michigan. You said uh, right here on CNN that if President Trump doesn't wear a mask, He'll be asked not to return to any undisclosed facilities in your state. Uh, Is the president no longer welcome in Michigan? Well, I will say, speaking on behalf of my department and my office, that's right. And then, Jim, in a comment almost reminiscent of Kanye West following Hurricane Katrina, here is uh, Dana Nessel suggesting that Trump didn't wear the mask because he just doesn't care about people. So what message did the president of the United States send to the people of Michigan today, especially the workers there at that Ford plant with his actions today? Behind the scenes, backstage, he put on a mask. There were no cameras allowed there. But publicly, the whole time, he was uh, without a mask. Uh, I think the message he sent is the same message since he first took office in 2017, which is, I don't care about you. I don't care about your health. I don't care about your safety. I don't care about your welfare. I don't care about anyone but myself. And he's continuously sent this message. Um, And what I would say back is that even if you don't have a president of the United States that cares about the residents of this state, fortunately, you have a governor and you have an attorney general who do. And we are going to do everything in our power to protect you even if you have a president who won't. And if that weren't enough, it's not just Trump that she despises. She says Ford could face penalties because they didn't stop the president from not wearing a mask. Because you actually have threatened action against uh, any company or facility, for that matter, that allows the president inside without a mask. So will this Ford plant, for example, uh, face any consequences? Well, I think that we're going to have to have a very serious uh, conversation with Ford in the event that they permitted the president um, to be in publicly enclosed places uh, in violation of the order. They knew exactly what the order was. 
Um, and if they permitted anyone, even the president of the United States, to defy that order, I think it has serious health consequences potentially to their workers. And finally, Jim, uh, just in case you weren't already clear on this point, Dana Nessel is a very fierce partisan. And so she says uh, the real response to this is to vote for Democrats in November. Well, it's my reaction to many of the things that we hear Donald Trump say, and that's that he is a ridiculous person, and I am ashamed to have him be president of the United States of America. And I hope that the voters of Michigan will remember this back in uh, when November comes, that he didn't care enough about their safety, he didn't care about their welfare, he didn't respect them enough just to engage in the very simple task, the painless task, the easy task of wearing a mask when he was provided one. All right, Jim, I know that's a lot of audio, but that's <laughs> but that is a lot of crazy. Uh, Wolf Blitzer, not once asking her if she was sane, I think uh, <laughs> speaks volumes there. He just kind of teed stuff up for her, acting like this was a totally normal response. So what do you make of the Michigan Attorney General, A, claiming that the president's not welcome in, in the state, and then just this unhinged reaction to the president? A lot to unpack here. The first thing, first, let me start with the the Trump statement about how well he had done um, (laughs) on the test, that he was positive, that he was negative, and it's no, you know, this is not the first time Trump has talked about how well he has done on this test. It's binary. This is about bragging about your score on a pass-fail test. Um, (laughs) Either you have it or you don't. And if you don't, you know, I'm I'm sure that the level of, of virus in your body is zero, it can't really get any lower. So, so I mean, good for you, Mr. President. <clears throat> this does, by the way, put into perspective him not wearing that mask. Look, the one guy in the country who we can feel reasonably certain doesn't have the coronavirus, or the guy who we will know the soonest if he develops the coronavirus, is the President of the United States. It looks like they're testing him every day. Now, it's interesting. I'm pretty pro-mask. I, you know, I, I don't like the Karens running around and wagging their fingers at people, but... Uh, you know, it, it's generally, if you have it, it lessens the likelihood you'll give it to them. I think it probably gives you some protection, if not a perfect one. You know, cops wear bulletproof vests knowing it doesn't give them 100% protection from getting shot anywhere, right? It just increases their odds of surviving a shooting. So they put it on, they, you know, they live with the, the, the discomfort, et cetera. I think that should be our attitude towards masks. But if because we just had the president tested, we feel pretty good about him walking around someplace that he's probably not going to be spreading these things. We all, you know, by the way, the president, Donald Trump for a long time was a notorious germaphobe uh, who resisted handshakes and everything else. A good habit of his that maybe he shouldn't have been mocked for all those years. Um, but if, pres- you know, if President Trump is not wearing a mask, he's probably the one guy in that entire factory you need to worry about the least not wearing a mask because, again, he was just tested that morning. Uh, and if you want to say, well, all right, but he could have picked it up somewhere on Air Force One between that morning when he was tested and when he got to the factory. Okay, but that also points out the uselessness of all these other tests we're doing. <laughs> you know, we keep hearing, we need more testing, we need more testing, we need more testing. The president gets tested every day and the general response is, well, that doesn't mean very much. So you got to pick one option here, people. Um, then as just for the, the Michigan Attorney General, the whole claim of he's not welcome in this state what we have here in this era of negative polarization is that the easiest way to become more and more popular with the base of your party is to be the most antagonistic you possibly can to the opposition party. Now, I'm not so sure this is necessarily a sound strategy. Kirsten Gillibrand, from the beginning of the Trump presidency, made a very big uh, uh, to-do and a very big demonstration of how she would not vote for any nominee for the Trump administration. 
And when you announced that early on, uh, and she didn't vote for James Mattis, she didn't vote for uh, Elaine Chao, she didn't vote for Christopher Ray. all the picks who were really not that controversial and fairly broad bipartisan sense, these people were well qualified for uh, the jobs that they were being nominated. Nope, not good enough for Kristen Gillibrand. If you were picked by Donald Trump, well then by golly, she wasn't going to vote for you. Which, of course, made it very clear there was really no point in trying to cater uh, your choices to try to placate Kristen Gillibrand because she was going to oppose you no matter what you did. And we all remember, by the way, just for, for listeners who may have forgotten, uh, Kristen Gillibrand is a senator from New York who ran for president. Uh, I know it's easy to forget. I know it's not sort of thing that is easily, uh, you know, it, it wasn't very memorable unless you decided to get some ranch while she was at a restaurant near you. Um, but by and large, you know, this, this, you know, be taking the most partisan and, oh, I'm a fighter and, oh, I oppose everything this president does. It didn't really take off. Maybe it's not the only reason her campaign did not succeed. But I think it's the idea that, oh, if I, as long as I oppose the president the most, uh, my stock will go up in the Democratic Party circles. The idea of, of, you know, prosecuting Ford, just what you want to hear if you're working at a, uh, in the auto industry is the attorney general saying, hey, I'm going to do my best to punish the car companies for having Donald Trump there and him not uh, wearing a mask. Uh, you know, it, it is uh, over the top. It is furious. It is everything you kind of have uh, expected. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I very much appreciate the Kanye throwback. Um, now, one of the great ironies we know, Greg, is that Kanye would never say that about Donald Trump. No, he and he's, Kim he's are pretty, all the way. Yeah, pretty pro-Trumpy. Yeah, so I get why. You know, look, Michigan has always been a purpley state. Uh, Trump's win there was something of a surprise. Republicans have had a, you know, they had uh, Snyder there as governor for two years, but they've always had a tough time in the Senate races and, and things like that. And so I'm not surprised that the Democrats won those races, and I'm not surprised and all the statewide offices, and I'm not surprised that the. Uh, they're behaving in a partisan way. But I think it also demonstrates you're not really getting centrist Democrats anymore. You've got a Democratic attorney general, a Democratic governor, and also a Democratic secretary of state with the absentee ballot decisions mm-hmm. who are all relishing fighting with the president and who see that, you know, ultimately this is, this is turning into, I mean, you can take your metaphor of WrestleMania or uh, Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Ultimately, all of these people sound like they're auditioning for roles either on MSNBC or Fox. And I am the toughest. I am the one who is most combative to the opposition party at a time when we really do have some bigger fish to fry that we probably should spend a little more time focusing on how to mitigate this pandemic instead of look at how vociferously I can oppose the, uh, the incumbent president right now. And I'm going to, I, as your attorney general, will tell you the best solution is to vote for my party. I, I want everybody who's been throwing tomatoes at bar to uh, calm down. You just watch that, Jim. And I don't know if there are that many middle of the road voters left. I think there probably are more than we realize at this point, but I can't imagine watching that and coming away impressed unless you were already died in the wool Democrat. I mean, it just looked really petty. It, it even reminded me of uh, the old Seinfeld episode where uh, Kramer did the AIDS walk, but didn't wear the AIDS ribbon. And he kept getting uh, hounded for it because he wasn't uh, doing exactly what all the activists wanted him to do. I know that's not the same as wearing a mask because that could actually make a difference, but uh, just the harping on it over and over and over again, making yourself uh, out to be a felon if you're not wearing one is just ridiculous. You know, and you could look back to, somebody might say that the impeachment of Bill Clinton in 1998 um, was a reflection of the fact that the country had the time and mental real estate and energy to focus on what the president was doing with an intern. Um, Something that, you know, I think there'd be a fairly widespread sense that it was uh, deeply inappropriate. He's uh, committed perjury, he suborned perjury, but it was not really a matter of public policy. It was not really a matter of a, a decision of the president that affected lots and lots of people. 
Uh, now you look at things like the Bin Laden, <laughs> the, the bombing of the embassies and things like that. There's indication maybe we should have been paying a little more attention to those sorts of things. But you know, at a time of peace and prosperity, if you want to really indulge in performative politics, right, kind of virtue signaling on a large scale for people who are in office, you can do that in the middle of a crisis, maybe it's a time to put that aside. That maybe actually, no, you really, you should focus on what job one is, which is protecting the people from this uh, fairly significant menace that we are all struggling to, to get our arms around right now. And that's not apparently what a bunch of lawmakers are interested in right now. All right, Jim, let's move on to our second crazy martini now. And uh, today I learned, you just mentioned Kanye West, today I learned he wasn't black. Apparently sure. he's not black. Uh, Joe Biden is the centerpiece of our second crazy martini. He was on an interview with uh, Charlemagne the God from The Breakfast Club. This is the guy who interviewed Kamala Harris when she uh, talked about allegedly listening to Tupac while smoking dope in her dorm in the mid 80s, you know, before Tupac had released anything. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, so Joe Biden's on there touting his uh, record to the African-American community. And uh, time is up on the Biden side. Apparently, Jill had to get uh, to the computer in the background to do a Zoom interview. So uh, they had to cut the interview short. And here's the extended version of it. On social media, you might have seen a, a five or a 10-second clip. This is close to a minute uh, with the whole uh, interaction here after the Biden staffer interjects and says this, this has to come to an end. That's really our time. I apologize. You can't do that to black media. You I can't do that to white media and black media because my wife has to go on at six o'clock. Okay. Oh, uh oh, I'm in trouble. Listen, you got to come see us when you come to New York, VP Biden. Cause I a, will. It's a long way until November. We got more questions. You got more okay. questions. But I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. It don't have nothing to do with Trump. It has to do with the fact I want something for my community. I would love to see Take you. Take a look at my record, man. I extended the voting racks 25 years. I have a record that is second to none. The NAACP has endorsed me every time I've run. The war, I mean, come on. Take a look at the record. This is obviously sending shockwaves, more on the right than the left. The left is uh, downplaying it, of course. But I think it goes to something that you and I have talked about in the past. We saw it with Clarence Thomas. We've seen it with conservative women, uh, where for a lot of folks on the left, oh, you might be black, you might be Hispanic, you might be a woman, but if you don't think the way we do politically, are you really? You know, Greg, before we, I dive into Biden's comments, and I have quite a bit to say on that, I do believe in the name of, you know, PolitiFact and FactCheck.com, it is important for us to do a little bit of fact-checking uh, about this particular story. This has just been handed to me. It is hot off the presses, and I think it's very important for our uh, listeners to know the radio talk show host, Charlemagne the God, is not actually a deity or the deity. Uh, that fact-check, false. <laughs> He's not actually uh, the creator of the universe, nor is he the, uh, the emperor and figure who ruled Western Europe from the fall of the Western Roman Empire. Um, he, he is not actually the Charlemagne. He's merely a Charlemagne, uh, the, the figure who lived in, 18, in the year 800. So good clarification. Um, yes. Keep that in mind. Just yes, yes, yes. So he's neither Charlemagne. In other words, Charlemagne the God is neither Charlemagne nor a God. Talk amongst yourselves, as <laughs> Linda Richmond used to say. So on Biden, you know, the, the argument you're hearing here from a lot of corners is, you know, Joe Biden is racist, but come on, he's not racist. What he is is somebody who's uh uh you know, by the way, when I say racist, I'm saying R-A-C-I-S-T. Yes. Uh, a lot of people think you're saying, no, no, you, you misspelled it. There should be a P in there. That's the accusation against him. A totally different accusation against him these days. Look, Joe Biden has no animosity towards African-Americans. 
but he is a white male in his, you know, approaching his late 70s, who simply cannot comprehend why anyone, white or black, would see him joking about you know, support for, for him and voting for him as a measurement of blackness or authenticity of blackness as inappropriate. Um, and that, you know, that is by itself not uh, as bad. Probably, oh, it's, it's no Ralph Northam if you want to talk, you know, actual racism, but uh, that's a low bar to clear, you know. Uh, Joe Biden is, is, you know, what comes through in that, besides the fact that, you know, the, the argument, of course, coming from the Biden crowd is, oh, he was joking. Everybody should stop being so, you know, it was in jest. Stop freaking out. Well, look, the question that prompted it was, Listen, you got to come see us when you come to New York, VP Biden. It's a long way until November. We've got more questions. It wasn't really inviting. Hey, joke with me. It wasn't really saying, hey, do I seem black to you? <laughs> you know, there's none of that. And yet, I guess Biden thought this was a good line in his head. And, you know, in response to a lament that, you know, I'm frustrated this interview is ending now. I have additional questions. Biden decides to say, hey, I doubt your authenticity as a member of your particular ethnic group. It, uh, yeah, doesn't fly well. And I think this just kind of indicates, look, you know, uh, you know, is Biden going to say I tested positively because I was so negative? Or No, probably not. But he's got his own series of gaffes. And it's, is this going to spur African-Americans not to vote for him? Probably not. Probably not in large numbers. But it's pretty easy to see why African-Americans would kind of bristle at that and say, come on, this is, you know, there's a presumptuousness there. There is a, a sense of entitlement. Uh, Joe Biden can't seem to get his head around why somebody would have a problem with him casting himself in the role of who is considered authentically black. And, you know, that's, that's going to rub some people the wrong way. Will it make a huge difference in the end of the election? No. But I think it kind of indicates everybody's like, oh, just wait till Biden gets out of this basement. No, I guess wait till he can get back on the trail again. I don't know if Biden unleashed is really going to be this uh, amazingly persuasive figure that uh, his supporters want him to be. No. And speaking of gas, uh, Joe Biden did say to CNBC, I believe today, quote, I'm going to defeat Joe Biden. I'm prepared to say that I have a record of over 40 years and that I'm going to beat Joe Biden. So, um, I mean, chalk up another one. Hold on, fact check. True. He's doing a pretty good job of it so far. I got to say, though, he's doing, he's doing a better job than Trump is. <laughs> I actually listened to the whole 17 minute interview that uh, happened between these guys yesterday. And I got to say, uh, Charlemagne is a good interviewer. He's clearly, you know, pro Biden, but he didn't mince uh, words when he's asking the questions. In fact, the first question out of the box was basically, man, are you losing it upstairs? Uh, I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. nobody's asked Biden that question, yeah. to my knowledge, given all the, the, the mental fog and the, the brain cramps and whatever else has uh, been happening on the trail. And then he's been challenging him on, you know, they got into the crime bill and all that stuff from, from decades ago and mandatory minimums. And uh, from a pro Biden interviewing standpoint, he was tougher than a lot of other people I've seen. You know, a, a good way of putting it, if there is a significant factor that comes out of this exchange, it is the gap between how Biden believes he is perceived, uh, particularly amongst African-Americans, and the way Biden is actually perceived. Um, in, in some ways, like if anybody's ever made a joke with you before they really knew you, and you're kind of like, we're, we're not so close. You're, you're, you're not at joking around with me level. Um, that, 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 that clearly Biden felt like 
Um, he was going into very friendly territory. And I think you're right that, you know, Charlemagne the God had this attitude of like, you know, look, I want to vote for you, but you know, close the deal with me, right? Persuade me, you know, let's, um, in very blunt, direct ways. And I don't think Biden was, you know, I'd say Biden didn't seem prepared for that line of questioning. Well, but it's probably fair to ask what line of questioning Biden is prepared for. Um, you know, this is, you know, this is probably not going to do fatal uh, ter- you know, damage to Biden's campaign. But Biden is, you know, if you, look, if you want to beat, we have no idea what the environment's going to be like in November. Right now, things don't look good for Trump, but we'll see. If you want to beat Trump and you want to beat an incumbent president, remember only, you know, one of the last five incumbent presidents has been defeated when they ran from the re-election. You want to be at the top of your game. And African-American turnout is extremely important to the Democratic Party. And, and the good news for Biden is in the primaries, particularly South Carolina, so Southern states, particularly amongst older African-Americans, Joe Biden was doing just fine. You kind of figure there's a bit of that Obama halo effect. Um, but on his own, maybe he's not as great as he is. And if he isn't quite as bad as Hillary Clinton, and he doesn't need to do that much better than Hillary Clinton in states like Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and all that. But uh, look, this is... If you're a Biden person, I think you're probably feeling a little bit nervous about, you know, that he's, he's not getting any better as this goes on. And uh, the question is, you, know, the, you don't want this election to be about, oh, my God, did you hear what, what Biden just said? <laughs> you want this election to be about, oh, my God, do you hear what President Trump just said? Oh, man, that's a good transition. Although I should point out that my favorite part of the interview was when Charlemagne said, okay, I see what you've done, but tell me what you're going to do. And Biden's answer was, did you see how much I won by in South Carolina? <laughs> I, I, and so, uh, you know, For a lot of politicians have this habit of answering the question they wish the person had asked <laughs> instead of the actual question they were asked. But this was, uh, it was pretty bad. Let's go back to Trump here for our final crazy martini, Jim. And so this is all from Twitter yesterday. He says this, many will disagree, but Fox News is doing nothing to help Republicans and me get reelected on November 3rd. Sure, there are some truly great people on Fox, but you also have some real garbage littered all over the network. People like Dummy Juan Williams, Schumerite Chris Hahn, Richard Goodstein, Donna Brazil, Neil Cavuto, and many others. They repeat the worst of the Democrats' speaking points and lies. All the good is totally nullified and more. Net result equals bad. CNN and MSDNC are all in for the do-nothing Democrats. Fox was great. And so, Jim... Uh, immediate reaction yesterday, of course, is from anyone who knows what the media is supposed to be is it's not Fox News's job to get anybody elected or any media outlets job to get anybody elected. Now, I can see why he's frustrated because most uh, media outlets are clearly, obviously and blatantly in the tank for the Democrats. And he probably thought that this was an oasis that isn't quite what it was four years ago, uh, at least in his estimation. But that's not the point. That's not the job of the media. You know, Greg, I, this is one of those moments where I kind of wish we had like either instant poll or instant reaction from our listeners because, you know, I, my suspicion is most listeners to this podcast, they, they know who Juan Williams is. They, they know who Donna Brazil is. They remember the story of her giving the questions to Hillary Clinton when she was at CNN and then going on to head up the DNC. Uh, they probably know who Neil Cavuto is. And I thought it was interesting, you know, Neil, Neil Cavuto came out very clearly and said it was, that was a very bad idea, the president taking hydrochloroquine. Um, but I mean, how many listeners know who Chris Hahn is? <laughs> right. I know Jessica Hahn. I don't know Chris Hahn. Richard Goodstein. You, know, you, you, you could put in like two or three names in there and I, pro- I would not recognize them. So the first thought is, wow, Trump's watching a lot of Fox News. 
right? I mean, he, he can go, he makes some deep cuts over who on that network is bothering him. Um, of course, it's not the job of Fox News to elect President Trump. I think it's, you know, I suppose we should give the president honesty. He believes that it is the job of it. Uh, whenever Fox irritates him, he makes noises about how much he prefers One America News Network. But it's interesting, if Trump was really watching One America News Network as much as he claims he is, he'd be tweeting about them more. And he's not. He tweets a lot about Fox News, which indicates he's still watching them, even though he's irritated with them. And oh, by the way, Trump tweets about CNN and every once in a while, Joe Scarborough and Mika and all that stuff, indicating that he is watching them, or at least somehow what they're saying is getting to his attention, even if he's not watching it. Um, he insists that he doesn't care about what they say. And then oh, he reacts to um, ads that run during uh, Morning Joe. Like, again, if you're not watching it, that doesn't really explain how you'd be seeing all the commercials. But fine, whatever. Trump clearly sees the job as Fox News to uh, reelect him. I think there are uh, Guy Benson, a friend of mine, and a bunch of other folks have said that's not our job. Um, I'd be interested to see what Fox News viewers think. Is the job of Fox News to give it to you, fair, balanced, and unafraid, as Britt Hume would say? Or is the job to reelect Donald Trump? And at some point, I kind of wonder, will there be the creation of RNC TV or... Um, I mean, you could argue that the, the evolution of the, of the cable news networks has turned them into de facto, if not state media, then media that is much more aligned with one party or the other. But a measuring stick of this is that Trump is not happy that anybody on that network, even the token liberal, is saying he's doing a bad job. He's, he is mad about the existence of the token. Like, you know, is one, you know, does Juan Williams get a decent amount of airtime? Sure, but he's, he doesn't, he's not Hannity. He doesn't have an hour every night. He's not uh, Tucker Carlson. He's not Laura Ingram. You know, he doesn't have an hour. He's one of the talking heads on a panel. So the idea that, you know, you know Brazil or, or Williams are driving down Trump's support is kind of, you know, otherworldly. But I think it also, it says something about how negative polarization and partisanship has become such a powerful factor that there is an appetite out there for a network that will always tell you what you want to hear. And, and that the, apparently Fox News isn't doing it for a certain number of Trump fans who, want not, who, who are frustrated by even that token opposite, the Alan Combs to the Sean Hannity's out there. Rest his soul. They'll like Alan Combs, even if we disagree with him. No, that's exactly right. And I think it also speaks to the really dangerous blurring of the line between the news part of cable news and the opinion part of cable news. I think those lines have been completely obliterated at CNN and MSNBC. I mean, if you go to CNN any time of the day, whether it's uh, one of the Baldwins there, Brooke Baldwin or Kate Baldwin and, and uh, folks throughout the afternoon. I'll tell you, it's never, it's never Adam Baldwin. <laughs> it's never Adam Baldwin. And then they over, might put on a- Alec Baldwin, you know, or actually it's not even Billy Baldwin. He's, he's been pretty, you know. <laughs> Pretty uh, right. Okay. If you look at Katie Turr or Ali Velshi and uh, Stephanie Rule over at MSNBC, there's, there's no mystery as to uh, their agenda and what they cover. You go over to Fox, uh, there might be a little bit of uh, on the news side of what actually gets covered that's different from the other places. But Brett Baer's not an opinion guy. Bill Hemmer's not an opinion guy. I think Fox, for the most part, does a better job than the others of separating the two. And I don't know if that's what the president's upset about, but uh, there really need to be two distinct entities there. And we're seeing less of it these days, and there needs to be more of it, I think. Look, you know, if I mean, I, I can see people, why people criticize Fox News is so terrible. I mean, they've basically had the president's sibling interview him every couple of nights about how the pandemic is going. <laughs> Oh, no, wait, it's CNN and the Cuomo's. I'm sorry, I forgot which one. 
Oh, man. Jim. Somebody had said, oh, God, can you believe they did that? Somebody had said, could you ever believe Hannity doing that? And I was like, you know, yeah. I mean, can you imagine if Hannity ever interviewed his personal lawyer and didn't disclose it to viewers? <laughs> what would that be like? Well, if Hannity's still on Fox News whenever Trump is out of office, uh, I, can, I can imagine Trump being on there quite a bit. So we will see. But uh, Jim, uh, we are headed into Memorial Day weekend. Obviously, uh, hopefully folks get to spend some time with family, but uh, do take the time, of course, to remember all those who have served, particularly this weekend, those who have given their lives for this country and their families. Uh, and we'll be back here on Tuesday. So uh, we'll see you then. See you Tuesday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a kind review. Get us on those home devices and join us Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.